that you did a little session or I did a session with you, told yep. me a couple of things. It was nice uh, just kind of getting back into some of the PRI sort of mindset. I haven't played around with the like the acronyms. I haven't heard some of the acronyms in a while. So you're like sure. throwing them at me. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, gosh. I need to re go back over these <laughs> in some ways. But but yeah, man, um, if you don't mind, just kind of hit us with the you know, the, the elevator pitch, tell us who you are, what you do and yeah. let's dive in. Yeah. So thanks for having me so much, Kyle. Really appreciate it. Uh, my name's Mike DeMille. I'm a physical therapist. I've been a physical therapist for about six years now. Um, I'm also a personal trainer. So I definitely do one of those kind of hybrid styles of, of seeing clients. And then for the last three years, I've, I've owned and operated my company, Divergence Physical Therapy and Wellness where we've got a few other folks um, just like me doing the same type of thing. So we do a lot of physical therapy. We see people that are injured. Um, primarily, we use a lot of the principles from PRI, um, principles from compression expansion. We see some post-operative cases as well, but a decent amount of chronic pain, um, people that have been to physical therapy before and are frustrated with the process. Um, and then when we get people out of pain, we also do a lot of personal training as well and remote programs and some sort of continuity package um, that, that keeps people out of pain. So that's been a really fun process transitioning from seeing clients myself as a PT and a coach to operating a business and kind of seeing like a, a broader 30,000 foot view of other clinicians and their clients as well. And keeping everybody happy and, and managing and like understanding how that process works at scale has been really, really cool to see. So yeah, that's who I am and what I do. You're a rehab training business renaissance, man, is what you are. Oh you do, you're I doing think everybody is, is one of those nowadays too. You but then, then COVID happened and now people do the online thing as well, which that has also been really interesting. Like I love to see and there are probably people that are listening that fall into this category. Instagram can be very deceiving with what reality is, of course. So like, I don't even know what people used to do in the day and age before online platforms. Like even if it was LinkedIn or something like that, I don't know how people used to vet what someone was going to be before they got to them. Because if anybody comes in and interviews at Divergence or if anybody applies for Solidify or whatever, I'm usually not like calling their references or like any, you know, old school interview tactics, I'm looking at their Instagram and then seeing who they are. Right. Um, and then sometimes people that look very impressive on Instagram, you meet them in person and they're incredibly disappointing, but other times you see people on Instagram and they're exactly who they say they are. So yeah. it's been, it's been really interesting to see that like transition in the field as well. Yeah. It's like my big goal for 2023 is how to like the community I've put together you know, whether you work with me or not, it's more just how can I help you be a better consumer when it comes to this and like, not try to get too in the weeds with the education process, but at least yeah. like know enough to be dangerous and, you know, get the help that you need or train the way you want to. And I think that's something that is definitely lacking in the field, but it's like, you know, we're so niche at the end of the day, like fitness, yeah. I think they this guy was like comparing it for me and he was talking about how like Kim Kardashian has like, you know, 30 million followers, something ridiculous. Right. But then like the top influencers in the fitness industry only have like 
a million, right? Like yep. Jeff Nippard is one, like he's yep. doing great things and he only has a million. So like, when you really compare that, it's like, wow, it's totally different. Yeah. And then you think like our accounts or someone that's even has like a hundred thousand followers in what sort of we do and yeah. the, the fitness PRI expansion, compression, all that stuff. It's like, man, how like <laughs> microscopic. Dude, that's, that's the thing, man. That's the thing. Cause like solidify was originally a mentorship to help people that knew about PRI to get better at PRI. And then we started to have all of these people come in. And what we realized is that these people that thought they weren't good enough at PRI didn't know how to talk to their clients. So it's like the separate problems. Like you, you think you're not good at PRI, but you're actually very knowledgeable, but you don't have a communication model. So then it became like people that know about PRI, that think they're good at PRI, that aren't good at PRI, that don't know how to communicate and then have a cash-based business and our physical therapists that do strength conditioning. So I was like, how many, how many people in the country am I talking to right now? But it really got smaller and smaller and smaller. And Tyler Tanaka, who runs the mentorship with me, we realized how many people are in the same category. But to your point, um, we hosted Pat Davidson here at Divergence a few months ago, and he had the perfect analogy for what you're talking about. He was saying that fitness and physical therapy are still stuck in the Gilded Age. So he used this example of like, if you're in medieval times or whatever, and you wanted to learn how to build a chair, you would have to go live with someone's family who's the chair building family for a period of time. And then you'd leave that experience knowing how to build chairs because there was no like education or standardization for something as specialized as that. And I feel like it's the same in our industry right now. You know, you can take PRI's courses, you can go to the intensive, you can do a, a mentorship, you can do like a fellowship, a residency, whatever. But in terms of the standardization across the board to really get a specialized skill of applying these techniques, you need to spend time with an individual and learn how to do it and take a lot of the skills and nuances that they use and then put that into your practice. So it's very, it's very difficult to streamline that learning process right now. Yeah, totally. Totally agree, man. And I'm taking Pat's 10-week mentorship right now. And it's been- uh, Oh, I'm sure it's amazing. Oh, it's 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 lit a fire for sure. I'm <laughs> like, oh, 2023, right at the beginning, we're doing this. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, so, right. Um, I, I'm curious. One of the big things I find with, you know, PRI and, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head with- your business model and everything that you're talking about here with the mentorship, but that communication model. Yeah. And that's something that I know I've definitely been guilty of it. It's like, I start throwing acronyms, PEC, left AIC, right BC, saying these things to my clients or my patients that are on the table. And it's like, a lot of times they would start to identify with this or it, I was almost doing more harm than good. It might, I was trying to educate the best, in the best way I knew how at that time. But in reality, it was like, man, I look back, I'm like, what what was I doing at that yeah. point? And so I, I'm curious to kind of hear a little bit more about what you found to be successful for your all's, you know, patient population and clientele base. And how do you talk about this stuff that's very in-depth, but bring it to, you know, be clear for the people that you work with? Totally. It's a, it's an excellent question. And one of the things that was uh, dangerous for me early on in my career, and what Tyler and I find for people that take Solidify, 
is that if you have a little bit exposure to something like PRI or compression expansion or like human matrix or rethinking the big patterns or whatever, if you have a small amount of exposure to it and then try to apply that to what you're doing, you miss out on the true essence of that thing. So I'll give you an example. One thing that they teach that I use every single day in my clinic that they teach at the advanced integration course um, through PRI, which you need like prerequisite courses right. to, to take in order to get to that for people who don't know. But they talk about this continuum of unconscious incompetency all the way to unconscious competency. And then you have conscious phases in the middle. I've seen so many practitioners get stuck in almost like freezing people, getting people stuck in this conscious phase, which is where you're talking about like feeding the algorithms, understanding the asymmetry, thinking about how you stand and sit, like really being conscious of how this, this pattern affects your life. What has been misused a lot is people will take a PRI course, one introductory course, load their clients up with all of this conscious information. You know, this shoulder is lower than that one and you're rotating, you got to feel your hamstring and your posture is bad, like all this stuff. And they really, they ruin this person from a psychological process. And what is difficult about that is if that clinician who was feeding all that conscious information took the advanced integration course, they would realize and understand, and they do a, a very good job of also explaining it in the introductory courses, but I think it could be easy to miss with all of the information that's coming in. You wouldn't realize that the point of being armed with this information about asymmetry or the nervous system or whatever it is, is to get your clients to this end goal of unconscious competence, meaning they don't have to think about their pattern or their body or their stress levels or whatever. They could just automatically oscillate in and out of this pattern, leaving them out of pain and, and getting them back to whatever activities they like to do. So for the surface level knowledge clinician, you would have no idea that that's the end goal that you're going to if you only took one course or if you took a few courses, but had a limited understanding. So it's been one of my missions and Tyler's missions with things like the mentorship and just talking to people like this to kind of like clear the name of some of these schools of thought that I think get a bad rap because they're, they're being misused. Yeah, totally, man. No, that, that, that was, that was a gym right there. That was perfect. Like, I really appreciate that. And that's something that I've had, you know, it's been a goal of mine as well. It's like, man, just learn to relax again. You know, like you don't have to hold this or feel every single thing. Like it's a yeah. good skill to have. But you need to be able to, you know, shift gears and move within this bandwidth. Right. And so I've talked to a lot of people that way. And I think, I think where I would get caught up, especially, and I can't speak for other people, but I would say it's probably a big part of it, but it's the control and the sensation output yeah. that you can get with these types of exercises. So it's like, totally. feel a hamstring, feel those deep abs, you know, exhale everything out, feel those abs working. And so right. you get this, like, that's how you get an immediate feedback totally. to feel like you're doing these exercises correct. Yep. And so you're like, oh, well, that must mean I'm doing it right because I get this feedback. When yeah, in reality, right. these types of exercises, it's like, yeah, relapse, you know, again, yeah, there is that unconscious control that we're going after and you right. don't need to have all that sensation kicking in. Yep. So it's- yeah. Yeah, there's one world where, and especially 
if you're a clinician that's relatively new and you don't have a deep enough algorithm where you know what to expect given different scenarios, right? Like the outcome might be very uncertain. So you might be limited in what you say. So I'll give you an example. There, there's one world where a clinician is tying their value that the client perceives from feeling the muscle that they said they were going to feel. So, you know, we're doing a 90-90 hemi bridge today. So like foot dragging down on the wall, an exercise that people in PRI and, and other people do that everybody's seen before. And you're going to feel that left hamstring as you do it. And if you don't feel that hamstring, I'm going to cue you until you do. And if I have the skills to get you to feel that hamstring because of my expert cueing and body positioning and external cues and like all this stuff, you're going to perceive what I'm doing as very valuable. Mm -hmm. If we then go into another exercise, like a single leg RDL on the left leg, where the goal is like relatively the same. Now we're building muscle mass in the hamstring, but we're going to get there via the same ways. I'm going to put your body in a good position. I'm going to give you the right external feedback. We're going to do this exercise and you and I will both know that it's going well if you feel that left hamstring and the client is going to perceive the clinician's value as, as high, as successful, if they feel that left hamstring. What happens with that is you can only you can only make so much progress if the only thing that you tie your value to is feeling muscles. So like a lot of times, if I know that somebody's doing a single leg RDL and they don't feel their hamstring, I've seen so many people do this before where there could be a number of reasons why that's happening. Maybe the weight isn't heavy enough. Maybe it's not enough reps. Maybe they're recovering too much in between sets, whatever it is. So I'll say to them, okay, you're not going to feel your hamstring today, but I think what's going to happen is you're doing this with good enough form and the weight is heavy enough and the, the reps are good, whatever, that you're probably going to feel a little sore in your left hamstring tomorrow. And the weight's heavy enough that I wouldn't want you to be feeling your hamstring because you should be just thinking about how difficult the exercise is. Mm -hmm. So now the person does it, they feel their left hamstring tomorrow and the, the value is still there, but it wasn't a value of getting me to feel the right muscle. The value the entire time was based on expectation setting. In the first scenario with the Hemi bridge, it was, okay, you're going to feel the left hamstring. We're going to fix the exercise until you feel the left hamstring. In the second scenario, it was, okay, I know that you feel really uncertain about what's going to happen right now. Let me apply some certainty to you. Right. And then if you want to get really crazy, you could take it a step further and a person could be doing an exercise and you could say, all right, well, I don't know why you're feeling this muscle right now, but I think it's going to be fine. We're going to get back at it tomorrow and we're going to stay on the same trajectory. Then the value is, is just implicit. It's not even about, you know, setting an expectation or feeling a muscle. But I think from a clinician standpoint, defining where your value comes from and not pigeonholing yourself to only one specific thing can uh, give you a lot of longevity and sustainability as a practitioner. Whereas if it's like, if we don't feel this hamstring, this person might get up and leave and never see me again. Cause like I'm the left hamstring guy. You, you've got to like, you know, have some range over how you add value to your clients. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Completely agree. I know. A, a tip or a trick that I've been using lately has been, you know, I'll tell people like, okay, you might not feel this muscle. That's fine. Like we're going to play the long game because your form looks good. You yeah. have, we can, you know, we can check all the boxes for the most part. And it's, yep. we're doing a, a C plus effort right now. And that's all you right. need right now. I don't expect you to be 
perfect and proficient at this. And if you were, then I probably would pitch something more difficult anyway. Yep. Like, right. So it's going to be C plus right now. And over time, like the next time I see you, let's hope it's closer toward that A plus material. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and that creates that it, and two, it just helps. Because again, you don't have to get these immediate changes right then and there. And that's something right. I think, that's why I came to PRI. I mean, I remember taking right. my first course. Uh, I remember watching Zach Couples at his movement matrix and, or the human matrix. And he had this girl do like one of the breathing exercises. I had taken PRI in the past. I was like, eh, I was kind of like circling back to it, right? With Zach's information. Sure. And I watched this girl and I'm looking back on it. And if you're, if she's listening to this, I'm sorry, but like, those were the worst two breaths I've ever seen of any <laughs> exercise. Yeah. But I saw, I mean, her internal rotation, I mean, went boom, like all the way to yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the table. And I was like, all right, I'm sold. Like right, take right, my right. money. Like I, I, if I can get this fast of a change after yep. two breaths, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And that was fantastic. And it got me buy in, uh, like to buy into the system as a clinician, but then it made the expectation that I need to get this type of change. Yeah. Every single time I work with someone. Right. And it's not necessarily like there's some low hanging fruit that I can consistently get with changes. Yep. But most of the time it's like, once you kind of clean up a good amount of that, we need time, you know, we need to create totally. adaptation. And yeah, and, and, and this is where like setting up your business model to support your clinical information this is where I think the crossover is. So if your business was only predicated on getting test retest changes, which I don't even do anymore, like no, none of my clients have ever cared. Maybe it's because I don't put a lot of stock into it. Mm -hmm. But every time I like do a posterior hip capsule inhibition or like a left AIC manual technique, and I show them how much their internal rotation or adduction or whatever improved, nobody's ever noticed. No one's ever been like, wow, that's great. Like, I don't know if it's just kind of my delivery, but that is not where the value is perceived. It has to do with how you've identified your ideal client. What is the journey? What's the promise that you're going to take them on? And then having that line up with your, with your clinical skill. So in my opinion, the test retest model with people over several weeks, several months, several years on a strength conditioning program, either if they had pain to begin with and you're seeing them for a long period of time, you're not very good if they still have pain. And if they're seeing you for personal training and you continue to do test and retest six months out, then you know whatever you're testing and retesting isn't going to get any better. Right. So you have to set yourself up for realistic expectations, set the client up for realistic expectations, use all of these tools that you have at your disposal. The test retest, you know, creating a, a transient change, which hopefully sticks for a longer period of time is maybe like 5% of what I think we do as, as most physical therapists. And another, I guess, way to explain it or way to think about it that I got from when, when Pat presented here was triangulating information. So in other words, if I'm doing an adduction drop test on someone and I have them do an adductor pullback to start to work on that adduction drop test to reposition their pelvis. So we're changing bony orientation and desensitizing the autonomic nervous system in order to create more range of motion. You can do an exercise and then just do your adduction drop test and then just 
tell the person, okay, exercise equals better test. What you can also do is try to triangulate as much information as possible. Let's say they're like a marathon runner and they get pain in their hip flexor at mile two. I'm already having the conversation about, okay, when we use this inner thigh to pull your hip back, it's going to mimic the position that you get into while you run. The more sets and reps and breaths that you can hold that for, the more miles you're going to get before you feel that hip flexor. Let's try this exercise right now. I want you to get up and walk around a little bit. I want you to jog as well. And then I want you to come back in and we're going to retest that range of motion. So now it's not just exercise equals outcome. It's your history uh, triangulated with the muscles involved in the activity that you do triangulated with the muscles that you feel while you're doing the exercise, triangulated with you walking around and feeling the difference. And then lastly, with the retest being the cherry on top, not the whole entire cake. Now this person has like a very good idea of why you're doing what you're doing and not you're just like quickly testing and retesting ranges of motion. And then in the future, they're then going to train that muscle. They're going to use external load to strengthen that muscle. It's like this whole entire story that that test retest model of desensitizing the nervous system, changing orientation, creating range of motion, it's just a small percentage of the entire of the entire breadth of what you do. Yeah. Well, and everything that you mentioned also relates to that unconscious control and that goal that you're getting to. Yeah. Right. Like you're talking about meeting them where they're at and getting them to run and do all this stuff. Like it's again, it's that story. In all those different things, like there's a lot of variables happening, but in the real world, they're all probably happening to begin with. Right. You know? So it's like getting them to that point. And I, again, it's just nice to like kind of hear all that, like connect the dots and come back full, full circle in some ways. Totally. Um, I am curious if there is anything else that you found useful, kind of circling back to that, like what has been like one of the more useful tactics for getting these people to that unconscious control. Yeah. Uh, so you know, exercise. The most helpful thing that you can do, and this is where the value proposition becomes very difficult, because if the client perceives your value as the getting them to feel the right muscle, getting them out of pain immediately, improving range of motion immediately. And then, you know, that's why they come and see you. That's why they pay the money, see you at the frequency that they do. You then have to slowly take away that value proposition, but then replace it with, with other things that you know is getting them to a more sustainable place. But you can't really tell someone that you're doing them that. At the end of the whole process, I always tell people exactly what happened in the middle. But while you're doing it, you can't, you can't tell them that. So this is where a lot of experience comes in. But you have to start to strategically take away these different uh, inputs that you've given them in the first place. And I'll tell you another thing that's incredibly helpful is changing the uncomfortable stimulus to something that is adjacent to the reason that they came in, but is categorically different so that they know that something uncomfortable is okay. I'll give you an example. If I have, if I'm the same runner and I have hip flexor tension and I've used my adductor to pull my pelvis in a better position, so now I can load my body. I might then do a hip shifted frontal plane emphasis, still using the same adductor to hold on split squat. And then I might have them do 18 reps with a 30 pound dumbbell in their left hand. And by the end of that split squat, I would say, okay, you're going to feel pain at the end of this. You're going to feel 
heat, tension, exhaustion, you're, you're not going to want to do it anymore. You're going to feel it in your quad. You're going to feel it in your adductor. You're going to feel it in the back of your hip. You're not going to want to do it anymore. I want you to push past that pain. And we're going to see where you get at the end of whatever, four sets of that. So now we've reintroduced something that would normally get this person back to their painful state, you know, get them that hip flexor tension, whatever, especially if they were running, but we can kind of mimic it with the same amount of stimulus with the split squat. By the end of getting to those four sets, they now have this completely different sensation that is in the same context of the movement that has caused their problem, but it's a different sensation. So now they've gone full circle with the reintroduction of that same initial problem, but their mind is not consciously focused on not feeling pain. It's focused on all these other things. I've got to feel the target muscle. It's so difficult. I can barely, you know, keep myself upright with, with all this external weight. That's how you know that you've got someone, that you've got someone unconsciously competent. And then from there, what I think is the best, so getting back to the value proposition, you can always revisit, you're always cueing people, right? Like, talk, shift, whatever. You can certainly always do that. And I think that's not a problem at all. When I'm training myself, I think about that all the time. It should never get in the way of what should become the new goal when someone's in this unconscious phase, which is a math equation. It's all when goals become objective instead of subjective, which is what this whole conscious pain experience is. When it becomes unconscious and it's objective, then you're just manipulating the weight, manipulating the sets, manipulating the reps, manipulating the rest period, manipulating the exercise selection, like all of those things, you can still provide value in, in those ways, whether it's like setting someone up for the right exercise, uh, making sure that the workout is kind of mathematically fits in the overarching program and micro and mesocycle and all, all those kinds of things. There's a lot of value to be provided in that way when you want clients to no longer be consciously focused on their biomechanics for the majority of the session. Love it, man. No, completely it. agree. I find myself doing the same, the same kind of things. I'm curious where you've gotten some of, you know, you're using words or uh, phrases like value proposition. And hmm. I, I'm wondering where you got some of this. They don't teach that in PRI, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's funny, you know, that there's kind of like two different worlds that have collided together that I would say have fueled the solidify mentorship that Tyler and I do. And they, they've said a bunch of different things, right? So you go to any of these biomechanics heavy courses and they never really talk about how to sell, even though when you're doing test retest, how is that not sales completely right. sales, but they're never talking about it in, in those terms. They're just talking about it in the biomechanical anatomical terms, which is the right thing to do. And then for, I would say for physical therapy specifically, but every industry, there is more um, cash-based specific physical therapy information out there than, than there's ever been, yeah. right? So when you go to physical therapy, there's obviously this big division between people that operate in network and people that operate out of network. And generally speaking, the people that operate out of network or cash-based, which just means they're taking money at the time of service, like a personal trainer would, they're not operating on an insurance contract. Those people typically have to be better at selling their product because the competition is a lot more convenient for the customer. So I can remember when I was coming up in the industry, like 2010, uh, Mike Reinold had one of the first cash-based practices, uh, Jared Carter, which some people might know, Aaron LeBauer, 
Then it was Paul Goff has a number of mentorships related to this. Now there's Danny Matei and the um, the PT Mastermind, which for anyone who's in that cash-based, uh, either starting a practice themselves or own a clinic, his mentorship is an, an absolutely must, must take. He's written a book called F Insurance. Um, he just started another one as well. That's more of like a, it's another like cash PT kind of compendium, like, um, you know, uh, combined resources type of type of manual there. It's a field manual. All of that information, they seem to talk about the sales process specifically and, and went into all these things in detail, like uh, your target clientele, the location of your clinic, even like, you know, revenue and, and earnings and net profit and all these things. But they almost talked about it in a way that suggested that your clinical information was not important at all. Like it, like it wasn't even relevant. As long as your sales were good, you could do any sort of like clinical, you know, clinical practice, whatever it was. Right. And I think what Tyler and I have found is like, you can't be no clinical knowledge at all and come in and be the best salesman and have a successful practice. And you can't be only a clinician that, that doesn't have any sorts of like sales communication knowledge at all. Really the archetypal clinic that we're, that Tyler and I are trying to build is one that has a very concise and easy to explain business model, has the right target clientele right in front of the, right in front of the clinic. They go through an entire process of the marketing to get them in the clinic, the sales to get them through the process, which has a lot to do with the clinical skills that we use, the retention to keep them in that model, which is where the personal training and strength conditioning comes in, and then the referral sources to feed that, which turns into your clients that have a lot of success stories and other referral sources that we would have. So once you put all these pieces together, the marketing, the sales, the clinical aspect, the retention and the referrals, then you have an entire cycle where you have the clinical piece, the business piece all put together. Um, and then, then you can really start to scale or not scale or have freedom of time, freedom of money, whatever you want to do. So to answer, it's a long winded answer to your question of the combination of these people talking about the best ways to run and operate a cash-based physical therapy practice combined with these people that, in my opinion, have the best clinical information out there. Mm -hmm. It's been PRI for me. You put those two things together, even though they don't really seem to talk about each other all that much. And then you have like this good combat, this good balance of a, of a business and a practice. Yeah, totally. No, I completely agree on the, you know, there's more information out there than there's ever been, especially online. You know, the fact that, you know, I, where are you located at? So we're in the Boston area. We're like, okay, so you're in Boston. I'm over here in Cincinnati. Like I would have never known you without Instagram and the types of information. Like it, it's just insane that we're in this day and age and they were truly utilizing the, one of the good port, good parts of the internet at this point totally. uh, in, in the, the best way possible. But that said, like putting everything together with all this information and trying to, I mean, there's a lot of crappy information. There's a lot of good information. It's just how do you find what works best? And again, it's probably just time in the game. And it's nice to have like people that can put together courses like yourself and have been in it for a long time. Yeah. And are successful. It's like, I don't know. It, and even again, full circle, going back to like what Pat said about this being, we're in the gilded age, right? You have to find people 
that can be mentors to you and that have done what you want to do. And that's what I've always done. It's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a weekend course. Like I appreciate my PRI courses. I appreciate, you know, human matrix, but anymore, I'm going to the source. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going right to the person who is doing exactly what I want, getting the changes that I want and has made it successful. And, you know, like Pat, like, Right now, I'm going into a cut myself with some of my own training. Oh, man. I'm getting back into some track work. So I was like, Pat looks good. Let's go. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, Pat's right. doing something right. I want to know. So I'm going. Well, and, and what's in. good about all of this uh, information that has different entry points is that you can assess whether you think someone knows what they're talking about with whatever, a lower cost offer. And then when you end up uh, submitting yourself to this, like, usually higher cost, but higher touch point offer, what you're really doing is you're saving yourself time and money that would have otherwise just kind of been spent in a not as focused way, where you're going to someone that has quite literally made all of the mistakes that you would make unless you learn the information from them. So from like a consumer of online mentorship products, if if people are in like, you know, whatever, their early physical therapy career, strength conditioning, whatever, you should get information from someone that you feel like is where you want to be. And yeah. then when you, when you do that, you can ask them about the mistakes that they made, you know, different uh, avenues of learning that they took, lessons that they learned along the way. Then that should save you a lot of time and money. And then you end up making a mentorship that this, this is the same exact thing for the generation under you. And then the cycle continues. Yeah, 100%. It just, once you start to see it as more of a, a time-saving, like, it, it just changes the, or when you start looking at it through the lens of time, I guess that it, it changes everything. You know, I totally, it's no different than like, you know, if somebody had heart disease, they could go on YouTube and find someone who makes a workout program to like cure heart disease. Right. But those things have existed for years, you know, and mm. we still have a heart disease problem. But like, imagine if you took that same person and signed them up for a program where they met in person three times a week and like had the direct feedback and and all these things. It's just a lot more actionable. And the reality is like most things in this life that are worth doing, you get what you pay for in a lot of ways, like no matter what it is. And everybody tries to like shortcut that reality, but whether it's like I've had the experience with gym equipment, it's exactly what it is. You know, the location of where your clinic is, how well you pay your staff, like all these things, you get what you freaking pay for. And there's absolutely no shortcuts to that. You could be smart about it, but the same thing applies to your mentorship, your your personal mentorship as well. Choose the things that are going to be the most efficient and then completely dedicate yourself to them. And you'll be happy with payoff. Yeah. I think guys like, you know, like Alex Ramosi, he's popped up. I mean, Great marketing, absolute fantastic marketing in the past like year and a half he's been pushing, but he's really like pushed that concept. And I think the mindset is shifting overall when it comes to that type of like, rather than buying an ebook, I want to go talk to that person, you know, maybe I'll read the ebook just to get an idea and make make a better decision overall. Yeah. But like, well, you know, even just going through like, Pat sales funnel for me, right? Because that's this is the most recent mentorship and just kind of educational sure. learning that like one of the biggest things too is like authenticity, right? I mm-hmm. went through and I saw like Pat like making some of these posts and he's like talking about struggles and all the you know bullshit that he's gone through. And I was like, yeah, man, like 
he's real. Like he's a real person. Like, he's the best. I, I love mean, him. He's going to be coming back here in the summer. Um, what you see is what you get with, with exactly. that guy. And with any good clinical mentor, like, you know, Zach Couples, I mentored with for a while, Bill Hartman, certainly all the people involved in PRI, what you see is what you get. Um, and there's really, there's no substitute for that. And then as the mentee, you then have to take that responsibility very seriously, do right by those mentors, and then and then help more people, which is ultimately the goal. So to pivot a little bit, I do have a question for you relating to, you know, as PRIs become more popular, and there's more and more people like, you know, myself and others that are creating content around it and trying to just, you know, general information that we know can be helpful, but you know, there's always, there's a double-edged sword with anything, right? Yeah. Like some people can look at some of the stuff and it's like, I did that 90, 90 hip lift and my back pain is cured. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, then there's other people that are like, oh, I don't know if I should do this 90, 90 hip lift because I have, I watched these five other YouTube videos that told me, you know, I need to have this first, right? Yeah. I guess what is something you have found that we could kind of break this up into two things, like for just the regular gin pop person who is going down these rabbit holes on YouTube or Instagram, like what is something that is helpful information or like how to sort of look at this information from like with a grain of salt yeah. and then how to almost create some of this content for, you know, the strength coach or the physical therapist to show that their expertise, but without potentially like nocebo <laughs> effects. Totally. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because there's like a um, an approach that will ultimately help the most people ends up doing some harm to some people. Yeah. So, you know, for the amount of people that might see a YouTube video and kind of mis misuse the message or like freak themselves out or like cause problems or whatever, there's probably so many other people that are ultimately getting helped. And for me in the PRI world, it's Neil Hallinan's YouTube channel. Like that dude has more YouTube videos on PRI and like specific diagnoses and they're all educational. He's not claiming to treat anyone. Right. But we have gotten so many referrals because I'm PRI credentialed. And I actually got to meet Neil here. Uh, we hosted Cervical this past year. He's, he's an awesome guy. I have met so many people because they've seen one of Neil's videos and they did a program with me and they went through a treatment protocol and they got better. And it's amazing. They would have never found me if it wasn't for those videos. So in other words, if somebody's going online and getting freaked out by a video, like that's not the video's problem. That's the person's problem. You know, if you and I or an educated consumer were to see a video with like promising us something, we would do more research on that thing to make sure it was legit. And then, you know, if I'm a uh, if I'm in the Boston area and I see this YouTube video of a PRI exercise or a practitioner or whatever, and I say, oh, this stuff seems really helpful. I should see other people that do this in my area so I can get the results that they talk about on the video. That's like the way to go about it. And it kind of has to do with this conversation that we just had about like, if you're going to do something and experiment on yourself, don't take like the cheap, I'm going to get a couple of like tips and then do it on myself and we'll see what happens. Like, don't do that especially if you don't have any background in the field, right? go through the actual process, carry out the methods the way that they were meant to be carried out, and then you'll realize the true results. And most people do that. I think we end up hearing about a small percentage of people that like misuse them, 
and then, you know, talk badly about them because they're usually the loudest. But for, for all people that any YouTube videos have like harmed, there's thousands of people, depending on the audience, um, that are helped by that content, even if it's not going to be the perfect thing for their situation. Because when you need something perfect for your situation, that's when you seek out a specialist. So, you know, I, I really like that part of it, but the responsibility is on the, on the consumer. Um, and then from the clinician standpoint of taking all the information that's out there with a grain of salt, one thing that I suggest everybody do in Solidify and something that I think is incredibly helpful and something that most people just don't do. If you went on the PRI website right now, or if you took the intensive, for example, or if you took the human matrix, or if you took rethinking the big patterns, I'll kind of put all those four courses together, which, which summarize a lot of what I do, to be honest with you, that, and maybe like Mike Isretel's work as well. If you go through any of those pieces of information, they all have massive referenced bibliographies. They all do. So if you're, I'll know that someone is an educated consumer, if they're not talking to me about PRI, or if they're not talking to me about Bill Hartman or whatever, if they're talking to me about like Detroyer and Hodges and like, you know, some of these people that have written the research, which is accessible to anyone, that all you have to do is take time and understand and then have a conversation about scientific research exists for a reason. We take courses that are based on the scientific research to give us a shortcut to applying the information. And that is really good. But if you want to, see if the source is reputable and they're not making outrageous claims for the results or they're not, you know, fudging the data or they're not doing anything like that. You have to read the information yourself. And if you're a clinician, there is nothing more valuable with your time than you could do outside of seeing patients, you know? And I think that's why like at a place like Divergence, when we think about team members that we want to hire to grow our physical therapy practice, we want to help people save time on documentation, save time on scheduling, save time on whatever, so that they can have more time to focus on their continuing education, reading research, uh, high touch point time with their clients. Like what you spend your time doing is really going to come back in your in your practice itself. And one of those things can be vetting out these continuing education options that you have in a world that has more options than ever. Right. A lot of options. Right. Uh, so I think it's interesting. I've, I've come to a similar conclusion when it comes from like the consumer standpoint of it. It is their responsibility, right? Like you pick what you consume. You need to have your head on straight when related to this stuff. Totally. And I've just been obsessing about this question lately. It's like, how do we create Again, you know, I told you some of my goals at the beginning of this, like I want people to be smarter consumers, you know, like don't fall victim like I did to some of these other methodologies out there that are just going to waste your time potentially. Um, and it's like, how do we make a smarter consumer? Like, is that obviously like it is their responsibility, but is that something, and this is just spitballing, but is it something that we need to initiate better, like in phys ed, <laughs> like elementary school? Right. Is that something like, you know, I listened to, I'm kind of answering my own question first, but like I listened to a, it was a Joe Rogan podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he was mm -hmm. talking about statistics and how the human brain is absolutely terrible at statistical analysis, right? Mm -hmm. Like our intuition sure. is skewed like, in, like an insane amount, basically. And he's saying that 
the basic the general population needs to just be better at like statistical basic statistical analysis right like i can watch a youtube video and i can know that because this is general information and it's not necessarily related directly to me that there's probably like a 15% chance that this exercise actually helps me if I do it on my own. Sure. Right. And just kind of having that frame of reference, I think that might be something that's helpful. Right. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I think um, the, the key there is whatever messaging is coming from the person that's uh, disseminating the product has to be targeted to the person that's ready to receive it. So, you know, one thing that I think is going to be incredibly helpful in the future is like a lot of these targeted ads towards consumers, even though like I understand the worries about it as well, but like ads that understand exactly where you are as an individual and exactly what you need is going to curate the information that you need to be able to consume. And then it's up to the consumer to, to do what they will with that. Mm -hmm. But like, for example, if the criteria of a certain product is too wide to the point where it's getting people consuming it that are not the right fit, you're then at a risk for misusing it. And I can think of, and then I would say there's kind of like a second responsibility of the person that's putting out the information to make that realistic for the person, right? So like if the Solidify 10-week mentorship was like $20,000, the people that are new clinicians would not be able to consume it. And something that I'm going to be putting out in the next month or so, so this will, I guess, be the announcement of it, is there's no there's no uh, substitute for that in-person education. And something that really bothered me was when you're in physical therapy school, you usually have about 30 weeks of clinical education in person with someone that you have to pay for in the form of credits. Now, if only there was something that was about 16 weeks long, where you could be in person with a number of skilled clinicians, have this one-on-one -on -one touch point information where you can ask questions all you want, uh, have access to courses, have access to mentorships like Solidify, and you could get paid to do it. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you're a DPT-3 student, if you're towards the end of your physical therapy physical therapy schooling, and you've just done your clinical internships, and you want to go above and beyond and do something like that, then be on the lookout on my Instagram, send me a DM. But I say all of that shameless plug, I say all of that just to say, the people that are in the position to offer the information, really have to do so in an ethical way, so that they can help the most amount of people possible get that information. And then those people that get the information then have to do the same thing and then have to do the same thing. So it's just like a, it's the responsibility of the individual to be attracting the right person and then giving them access to the content in a way that's very realistic for them. Yeah, totally. I think that that's a good way to look at it. You know, I did a podcast with David Gray and one of the first things he said, he's like, when I do a call with someone, I know if they're ready to work with me or not. Yeah. And that's it. That's what it really is. And so, yep. you know, it, it's kind of like you said, you're either going to create content, there's going to be good and bad to it, no matter what. Someone might totally. see that and, you know, nocebo in some way. And there, but then there might be a lot of other people that have a lot of good that come from it. Totally. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, you have to create content. It's going to attract your, client that you yep. want to work with and enjoy to work with right 
you know, like that's, that's probably the best we got at this point. <laughs> well, you know? you know, we, we as divergence and solidify um, have said no to more potential people than we ever have. And yeah. I think as someone who's selling information, what you intuitively think is if I start saying no to people, I'm going to make less money. The reality is the people that end up going through, whether it's in-person physical therapy and personal training sessions with you, or if it's a clinical mentorship, they end up having such a better experience that it ultimate, ultimately makes the product more valuable. And I've done the same thing with my in-person clients this year. I've capped the amount of people that I'm seeing, and I'm probably not going to take new clients ever again, yeah. because I need to be taking, I need to be spending my time with the clinical mentorship piece. But, but mostly what I do mostly is running, you know, our whole operation here at Divergence and taking the time to make sure the physical therapists are taken care of and making sure our model is sound and, you know, using what I feel like is, is my duty, my time to mentor younger professionals, whether it be in person or through the mentorship or whatever. So, you know, you have to start to be creative with how you, how you make money and make a living and then make sure that you're getting the right people in front of you that need the information. Um, and that that en ends up making the process better versus like the alternative where you have no standards and then a bunch of people that aren't good fits for your product misuse it. And then it causes all sorts of problems. Yeah, exactly. And that's not fun at all. Not <laughs> good for anybody. I, you know, the uh, Alex Ramosi, he had a tweet and it was just like, if someone says no to your product, it's like you either get money or you get time, right? So if that client says yes or no, like yep. either they say yes, you get cash. They say no, you get your time back. And again, kind of thinking of that in reverse roles of you saying no to someone who's not your client. Like right. there's been people who I've been on the fence and I'm like, do I really want to take this person? Like, are they actually ready for this? Totally. And I've said no, and it's saved me a lot of <laughs> emotional <laughs> energy totally. a lot of times. And it was the best decision. Like I would much rather have a better emotional state selfishly than try to like, you know, spoon feed some people throughout this right. process. And it, it, again, you just know when the right person, but I, I wouldn't know that. I think that is something like a mentorship and like talking to people and that helped me get that mindset a little bit better, right. but it wasn't until I had the worst client of my life or, oh my gosh. Yeah. you know, we've all been there. It was such, yeah. Like that you actually have a frame of reference to like, move from so but no yeah. i like i like what you're saying um I, I have to ask this man so i know we're getting close on time here but um what's your opinion on like insurance and the direction of physical therapy right now yeah it's really interesting um so you know one thing that i feel really passionate about is we do not have a income exclusive product at all right it's not a bunch of rich people coming in here and they're the only ones that can afford it the idea of going out of network with physical therapy is to save yourself time. So you can enter anywhere in on that spectrum. You know, if doing a one hour, $200 session here once a month with online programming and touch points and all these things is going to get you a, a lot more leverage than doing a $40 copay three times a week, 18 week program that doesn't do a darn thing, then you're going to save a lot more money doing the once a month option. So that's what these kind of models are are built for. In terms of where the in-network insurance model is going, with reimbursement rates getting lower and lower, the only way that these companies are going to be able to survive is with more volume. 
So like, you know, reimbursement for certain codes goes down and then volume has to go up and then they like reassess all the numbers for the year and they just do it again. So I think what's going to end up happening is that high volume uh, model is going to get so incredibly efficient that at a certain point, like they might not even need physical therapists anymore. This might be like a video program that everyone's getting. But I guess to say it another way, people are in a weird middle zone right now where if I'm seeing four people at once, it's not like a standardized product where I could just be teaching it to a group, but it's also not one-on-one care where I could be driving results that involve one-on-one care. I'm in this like weird no man's land where I'm using a lot of my time and a lot of my energy, but nobody's really getting what they're supposed to with that time and energy. Mm -hmm. So something's, something's got to give. Yeah. And I think what's probably going to happen is there's just going to be more and more out of network cash-based clinics out there. And the consumer will start to choose those and the in-network clinics will have to compete with that. And then that's, you know, that's, what's beautiful about the country that we live in is people get to decide where they want to go based on how they feel about something. So I'm really excited to see that, that process kind of take off. Yeah. It, it's like you said, we're in a, a middle zone for sure. It, it's just crazy how they're, this reimbursement rates just get lower and lower. Yep. It, I don't know, man. It's And I totally get it. I totally get why it exists. But the people that are making decisions about the future of physical therapy are no longer really physical therapists. They're like yeah. private equity or venture capital or whatever. And, you know, it's just it's just not going to keep its authenticity if we do it that way. It's just no. not. But you got to think, too, like a lot of the basic stuff that... PT schools, the exercises, all that type of stuff. Like it's really, it could be done by AI. <laughs> and I think I ultimately think that's what's going to happen, yeah. um, you know, with some of it. And then that's going to have its limitations. And then the difference between, I won't name any companies, but say like X big physical therapy company yeah. is only robots now. And then the alternative is like small mom and pop shops. That's like only humans, but it's only one-on-one -on -one for an hour. Yeah. The difference between those two services is just going to get wider and wider. And for those of us that own, you know, cash-based practices, that's a good thing. And we get a lot of our best referrals from people that have been mistreated by the model. So, you know, it's it's good news and it's bad news. But the more, the more that that uh, reality of having to get higher and higher volume with less and less reimbursement rates, the more that becomes a necessity the more the out-of-network cash-based practices are going to shine, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, it's I, there's a huge divergence and it's like all outpatient is going cash-based or anyone that's was outpatient, like physical therapists are going back to inpatient. Yep, there's like, a huge divergence, no pun intended. Huge, exactly. So, I mean, here in Cincinnati, that's that was my options as PTA. It's like, there's no especially with COVID, like it wiped out a lot of the brick and mortar outpatient yeah. uh, clinics here. And so I was SOL, like right. I had nothing. And I was like, all right, I got to go work in a hospital or a sniff. Like that's my options yeah. right now. Yeah, right. And that's, yeah, that's a in, in PTA. They're not even, especially in Cincinnati, they're not utilized in outpatient settings nearly as much. Totally. So I was like, all right, well, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to be yeah. an online trainer. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, the other thing that the uh, sad reality of the model has created is um, like like entrepreneurship out of necessity, which is yeah. kind of the situation that you're in, which that's also a good thing. 
Um, so, you know, if you're a young physical therapist or a clinician or whatever, make yourself as attractive as you possibly can to the people that need your services and then everything else will work itself out. Yeah, exactly. And being online, you can meet so many more people. It's totally, it's crazy. Like, you know, just once you find a foothold, it, it you can go anywhere with it. But totally. yeah, Mike, I know we're getting close on time here, man. How about you hit us with the, uh, you know, the credentials, not the credentials, sorry, hit us with the socials, hit us with uh, where we can find you, all that good stuff. Yeah. So my Instagram, I just made a TikTok, but that's very new. Instagram, TikTok, um, all, all that information. If you search Mike DeMille DPT, you'll, you'll find all that. You'll see me talking all about the Solidify Mentorship. You're going to see me very soon talking about this summer 16-week paid DPT-3 clinical internship, which is incredibly specific. You'll see me talking about that um, very soon. And then if you go to Divergence Physical Therapy and Wellness, you'll see all of the information about our physical therapy clinic, which is going to have some exciting announcements coming out soon as well. So that's all the places where to find me. Cool, man. Well, thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate your time. And we will see you all in the next one.